On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Action Park Media. You're listening to The Dossier, presented by Metro by T-Mobile. The night Biggie was murdered, Eugene Deal was working security for Sean Puffy Combs and Bad Boy Records. What Gene saw that night has made him one of the only eyewitnesses that identified the actual shooter of Biggie. His personal story and what he saw has never changed in 24 years. When FBI agent Phil Carson started his own investigation as it relates to the LAPD corruption surrounding the murder, he visited Gene. Inside this interview, Phil references FBI documents that I provided him via a FOIA request that has Gene's statement from 2004. This is the first time in close to 17 years that Phil and Gene have talked. Hey, Gene, are you there? I'm here. Phil, are you there? Yeah. Hey, Big Gene, how you doing? Phil, what's going on, boy? Not too much. Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. That's good, man. Put the retired I, papers in, huh? What's that? So you put those retired papers in, huh? <laughs> yeah, I finally did. Yes, I, yep. Yeah. Right. Good feeling. You know, I, I think for me, Gene, and and, and I, I won't speak for Phil, mm-hmm. but I, what I think is great about, like, you guys being on the phone is, I think when you look at this story... And all the people that are online, all the people that I think, Gene, like you've been telling your story for years. Phil has now decided to tell his story. I think there's probably a lot of people out there that could make a case or have in the, in the past that maybe you guys even never talked. And how this story and the truth of, of what, you know, happened has kind of been twisted in all of these different ways. And, you know, what I think would be great would be for you guys to talk about, you know, how, your interactions and when you met and, and Phil, why it was important to you to talk to Gene and for people to understand when you went out and set out to do your, your investigation. I can always remember you telling me, you know, I needed to go talk to Big Gene. I wanted to understand what he had been asked or shown or whatever. So maybe that's a good place to start is, you know, the story of how you guys met and what that meant. Yeah. So I actually, I, uh, I got Big Gene's phone number. I contacted him, told him who I was, reason I wanted to come out to New York and talk with him about the events that happened the night that uh, Biggie got shot. Gene gave me the address. Uh, he was working the night that I, I showed up. Um, at his work with another agent that flew out uh, from L.A. with me. I just remember uh, when I first saw Gene, I'm like, okay, I now understand why they call him Big Gene. You know, and trust me, uh, I not only tried to do whatever due diligence I could 
on on who Gene was, but I think he did a good job when he first saw me was, you know, he wanted to make sure, you know, I was who I said I was and that I didn't have any ulterior motives and, you know, that I was there really to to try to get to the truth of the matter of what took place that night. Um, the biggie was shot. And so myself and the other agent, we sat down at his uh, at his office there and we talked and it, it seemed like after, you know, a little feeling out period of uh, on both of our parts, you know, we both understood, you know, we just want the truth to get out there. And uh, we talked for a while and seemed to hit it off pretty good. And, uh, you know, like I've said before, I find Gene not only 100% credible, but he was very forthcoming. He was very truthful. And... Uh, I, I don't understand why there's these people out there that even dispute that I was the FBI agent that that either uh, first opened up this case or I wasn't even uh, assigned to the case when a different agent went and interviewed Big Gene. Why people come up with these crazy narratives? Uh, I just it, it's laughable. It's just it's a joke. And uh, like I said, I found Gene 100 percent credible. Um, I corroborated a lot of the things that he said with not only other people that were um, there at the scene, but, uh, um, you know, some other things that I was able to do. And uh, I thought that was important. And Gene, you know, with Phil coming out over the last, I'd say, you know, three or four months and finally telling his story, what has that meant? for all of the time that you spent talking on your YouTube channel, doing interviews, what was your reaction when Phil, when you finally realized Phil was here and he was setting the record straight? Well, you know, sometimes our people don't believe that an individual like myself uh, could come out with as a witness and put everything on the line based on the powers that be. Uh, when Phil came to my office, you got to realize, you know, I kept his card. I kept every last one of the officers, even the LAPD officers, catching them. Uh, I kept their card. So I didn't just pull Phil Carson's name out the air when I said years ago that he was the individual that came and he, uh, you know, I wouldn't say interrogated me, but, you know, he interviewed me. Uh we did have to get to know each other because you have to understand the LAPD told me they were coming back after I had seen that picture of me, Puff, and uh, the Muslim, of which we know as Amir Muhammad. Um, they told me they were coming back and I never heard nothing else from them at all. So uh, me coming out here and giving the people as a witness the information that I saw, the things that I saw, uh, the things that I heard, and Phil coming to collaborate and, 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 and say, yeah, me and Gene did have that conversation. Me and Gene did, did, did do that. That's coming from an FBI agent. He don't have no reason, no rhyme or reason to lie for me. He's there to get the information, to get the truth, no matter where it's lies. And for him to come out and 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 did this, I, to be totally honest, when I first heard, heard the dossier, yo, my heart dropped, and I was so out, yo, yo, I, I can't tell you how happy I was, man. 
And and I said that I'm going to help push this. And I just hope some other people get on the bandwagon so it can get the notoriety that it needs. And then maybe, just maybe, uh, uh, Big can get his justice. What I find interesting, Gene, is from the very first time that you've ever spoken about the events of that night, your story has never changed. You know, I think a lot of people in your position would have done what you could, spoke what you could, and then realized and sat back and said, this is insurmountable. I I, I can't keep talking about this because nothing's being done. Why did you decide for so many years to develop a platform to talk to people, to educate people, to tell people these stories. Why did you feel that that was important? Because um, when you don't tell the truth, like Puffy did, he didn't tell the truth. That somewhat hurts the authenticity of what we went through. And people can't learn from a lot. You understand? So I said to myself, until he tells the truth of what happened, what was told to him prior to going to this party, I'm going to stay on his neck because he's wrong. Anybody else who has to go through something like that or may go through something like that and they don't listen to their bodyguard, don't listen to the person who's doing their security and everything like that, it may just happen like that again. So it was, I took it upon myself to take my hammer and chop at the Empire State Building. And if I got to just get a little bit at a time and one person know the truth, Two people know the truth. We're going to be all right. And Phil, what what was your experience as it relates to getting information from Puffy or, or anyone um, in 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 that in that regard? Did you end up interviewing him or not? What 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 was your stance there? Yeah, um, I actually had a lot of conversations um, with his attorneys, saying, you know, this is the reason I want to talk to him. And I might have some even information that I need to uh, to provide to Puffy to give him a little bit of a, more of a background of what really transpired that evening. And I got some pushback at first. And then finally, we were able to set it up. And I went and talked to Puff. And um, he was very nice, very cordial. Um, didn't get much information out of him, I'll be honest with you. I could understand where he was coming from, but I didn't necessarily agree just because from from my research and the relationship that he had with Biggie, you know, one of his best friends and all that sort of stuff, he wasn't very forthcoming with information. And I think the reason why is, is at that time, you know, Puff was a mogul, but he was becoming even a bigger mogul. He had just not just in, in all the different entertainment avenues that he was involved in, as well as the clothing line and everything like that. I think he realized that no matter what he said, he wasn't going to be able to bring Biggie back. And maybe he just felt that maybe the more he talked or if he actually told the truth or or what really happened and all that sort of stuff, that all that would do is put a a target on his back. Because I know after the shooting occurred, he kind of had to, you know, hide out or hole up for a while because, you know, he was in fear that, you know, maybe people were going to be coming after him, that uh, that his life would be in danger. And very much so, I, uh, I can understand that because he was the intended target is the bottom line. 
And well, when I actually told him that, uh, that that definitely got his attention. But Phil, you, you yeah, uh, people don't look at this that Puff is responsible for the safety of his artists. And if he tells the truth that, you know, he was told that it was going to be a hit, he was told that some guys were going to kill them, and he didn't do a due diligence to get enough security for his artists, then that makes him liable. Oh, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I right. 100% agree and, with you, Gene. Absolutely. And, and that, like I told people a thousand times, if I wouldn't have never took that DEA class, you know what I'm saying? That surveillance and uh-huh. uh, um, it was a it was a interrogation and surveillance class. And they and they taught us, you know, if you somebody you know you want to know if somebody following you, run three lights, take three right. You know what I'm saying? Either or. You know what I'm saying? And I told our driver to run the next three lights. Well, gee, wow. you told me that. I mean, I, I trust me. I documented that. You you told me that, and that was one of the downfalls was um you know you 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 guys ran that first light and then right. i'm trying to think of who who was who was driving biggie's car it was his, it was it uh G money G. okay G. yeah it was great yeah exactly right. and yeah, he and was, he, he didn't have any he didn't have any background in uh executive protection or security so he no. sat at the light and and that that created a a, a sitting target a stationary target um for the shooter and so, like what I, I was telling people was, what I was telling people, and they always say this wrong in every movie, they don't understand the car was parked at the corner. Right. Yeah. The car was parked at the corner. It was no drive-by. What he did was he, he when, when Big Lim stopped at the light, you know, he etched up from the parking space he had right there at the corner, took his shot, and then Kenny, our driver, when he heard the first shot, because Tone said, somebody pointing a gun at Big now. I went to open my door, as I told you, and then we heard the first shot. Bow! Then uh, Kenny just guns the car. Then next thing you know, we hear, bat, 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 bat. Then he turns the corner, and he's gone. We get back in front of the car. Everybody is gone. You know what I'm saying? Big is the only one in the car. We wait till they come back. And Tone said, Gene, come on, come on, Gene. I hopped in. Our car that Kenny was driving, and we go after the guy. So, my whole thing about it is, is that you're right. He didn't have any any protection. He he didn't have any. G didn't have any knowledge of of security, and that was whoever was responsible for big security, which was Paul Offord and that Inglewood cop. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, let me let me add something that that I think is important too, because there's some people out there that that apparently are trying to push a different narrative. Um, I'm looking at a copy of of my interview with Eugene that was six, 17 years ago. Okay, everything that you just described right now that took place, detail by detail, is exactly what you told me 17 years ago. And why there are people out there that say that, uh, whatever, you, you changed your story or, or this and that. I'm sick of hearing that from other people. You have been 100% honest from the beginning. You've always told the truth. Uh, your story has never wavered. 
everybody else that I talked to back then corroborated everything that you told me. And I don't understand why they're, well, I do understand why these people are trying to push a false narrative um, because they're just trying to stand behind their false story. But I don't understand why people would even spend two seconds listening or even acknowledging um, these false narratives while they're, why they try to say, oh, Big Gene isn't believable because he changed his story. I'm here to tell everybody you are believable. And I wish these other people that dispute that would just shut up and go away because that's getting tired and old. <laughs> they're not going to do Seriously. That no, they're not. They that's why they call them trolls. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I have a, I have a, uh, a question that I want some clarity on from both of your different perspectives. And it has to do with a particular photograph. I guess, Gene, that was shown to you. Phil, I, uh, obviously we've talked so much, but I want to understand. There was a photograph. And in this photograph, Gene... As far as I understand it, you said to the LAPD, if you unblur this person's face in this photograph, that's who the shooter is. Is that correct? Talk me through the photo from your side, Gene, and then Phil, I want to hear your perspective on it. Sure. All right. First and foremost, they wasn't trying to show me that photo. All right. What had actually happened was, is that the tape that they were recording me on clicked off. But they had it under the cover. And they had photos and stuff like that under the cover. So now they're looking at each other like two buffoons because they taping me without even letting me know that they were taping me. Right? I had my lawyer in there, Eloise Nurse. And she said, you taping my client without our permission? And then the guy, he tried to explain to Eloise that the reason they were doing it because they can't remember all the stuff that may be said, may have been said in the uh, in, in the interview. So when they go and move the cover, these pictures are under the cover, right? And when he moved the cover, when he moved the cover, I see the pictures. Is me like like on the side of a facial thing? It's uh, uh, Amir Muhammad, it's Diddy, uh, we're going to say the Muslim, because I didn't know it was him at the time. Uh, the Muslim is Diddy right there in the photo. And I remember exactly what happened, because Phil, you know, I thought he was trying to get me, because he said, yo, did you have your gun on me? And then I said, yes. He said, uh, uh, what happened? I said, I showed him my weapon, and he walked down the street in the opposite direction. You know what I'm saying? So now, LAPD, they wasn't trying to show me that picture. Then I seen the picture. I'm like, oh, shit. That's the guy right there. Because I remember Little Steve said a Muslim had killed Big when we was at the hospital. And I said, the blue suit, white shirt, blue bow tie, peanut looking head. And he was like, yeah, yeah, how you know, Gene? Paul Offer said that. Yo, Gene, how you know? I said, he walked up to Puff Car first. You understand? So like when 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 uh uh we're not gonna mention his name, but the A one super cop from L A uh said <laughs> that I was in some kind of pissing contest with him. Didn't happen like that. He was coming close to my principal. He was coming close to my client. I showed him my I lowered my gun from under my shirt. He looked at it and walked back in the 
opposite direction. You understand? When the LAPD, you know, when I seen that picture, I I said, oh shit, this the guy right here. And then they face the guy face everything was clear in the picture. I was clear, Puff was clear, everything was clear in the picture except his face. Now, anybody who took photography one on one, they know that you could take when you when you when you doing a picture. You could take a pencil and stuff like that, and if you don't want that to come, that person's face to come out, all you gotta do is go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth while you're doing the photo images. And I knew that because I had that class in college, so I knew what they had did. You understand what I'm saying? Did you get any indication or ever see when they were showing you the murder book or any of that stuff? of this photograph that Gene is talking about. Yes, and it does exist because myself and the other agents saw it in the murder book. And that's when we went back um, to my bosses because we couldn't make any copies or do it, take any pictures or anything like that. And we explained to my bosses what happened. And then we went back again to take a look at the murder book. And the pictures were gone. And it's pretty obvious. It's like I explained... You know, it's like if you have a photo album of like, uh, you know, pictures from the third grade that your mom put together or something like that. And there's like four pictures on page and you keep flipping the pages and then suddenly you see a couple blank spots where it was obvious pictures would have been and those pictures are no longer there. And we noticed that. Uh, that's when my bosses, I wrote up a document. My bosses signed it. We sent it over to LAPD and to specifically Detective Katz saying we not only want to see all the photos um, of your murder book, but specifically the photo that was shown Big Gene where he was standing next to who we believe is Amir Muhammad outside of Puffy's car when uh, uh, when Big Gene brandished his gun and that um, Amir Muhammad, who we believe was Amir Muhammad, that his face was blurred out. And they stated that that photo doesn't exist. And I'm like... You got to be fucking kidding me. We've seen it, guys. Come on. And to this day, I mean, they just they just denied that they had that photo. It's well, just, it's ridiculous. He ridiculous. He, he wasn't exactly next to me. He was about seven feet or eight yeah, feet. Yeah. You know you know, right. You know what right. I'm saying? And, and he was a little bit further from Puff Car because I wasn't going to let him get that close. And But uh, they, when they told me they was going to come back and I never heard from them, Phil, Yo, I was scared as hell. And here, here's the thing, Don. It's because, again, everything that Gene is saying right now is 100% true today. It's a, it's 100% true what he told me 17 years ago. And it's 100% true what he told the LAPD because the LAPD documented that. And I, and I had, there's a copy of that document in the FBI files. So for them to even deny that they even showed that photo... It's it's beyond embarrassing. It's just ridiculous. These things are documented. And and like like Big Gene was just saying, for you know, A one number LAPD detective to dispute this or to say that Gene had some eye fucking contest with his Muslim and that's what caused the confrontation. No, it's not. That's the shooter. This isn't rocket science. Yeah, I think the thing that uh and maybe both of you can can give me your perspective on this, right? 
So just so I'm clear, Gene, and I know, you know, listen, I'll say his name. I know we, we all have our opinion. Did Greg Kading come to you as a detective and did he interview you? Not at all. Never. Never. And why? Never, never yeah. once came to interview you. No, he never came to interview me. It's crazy. And, Absolutely and so crazy. how, Bill, as an investigator, you're an investigator, how does somebody be tasked to look to relook into the murder and there's an eyewitness who has existed for years so he doesn't go and talk to the eyewitness then he makes a documentary film where he discounts what gene has said today but he never went and talked to him and secondarily to that he investigated a case where he never had the files of all of this other stuff because the LAPD never gave it to him. Yet he continually got, come like says these things in a public forum. I, I'm confused, and maybe Don, you guys can explain this to me. Don, it don't fit his narrative. Exactly. It doesn't fit his narrative. You know, if if he <laughs> interviews me and put that into record, you understand. That exists. And then he has to account for that being in the record. And why didn't why didn't you account for eyewitness that put this guy at the scene? Why didn't you account for the little Steve saying right after the within uh right right after shooting, it was a Muslim who did it. You know what I mean? So he doesn't you know, the A grade number one A grade one detective, you know what I'm saying? He did what he wanted to do and he said it. When he was talking to somebody on the show, after I cleared the, the, the thing for the LAPD, they had no use for me no more. They had no use for it. Immerse yourself in the fascinating tale of Song of Solomon by the legendary Pulitzer Prize winning author, Toni Morrison. A mesmerizing coming of age masterpiece that has captivated readers around the world. Follow the protagonist, Milkman Dead who was born shortly after a neighborhood eccentric hurled himself off a roof in a vain attempt at flight. For the rest of his life, Milkman 2 will be trying to fly. As Morrison follows Milkman on a quest to uncover his roots and himself in his Rust Belt hometown to the place of his family's origins, she introduces an entire cast of strivers and seeresses, liars, and assassins, the inhabitants of a fully realized black world. As the New Yorker put it, Morrison moves easily in and out of the lives and thoughts of her characters, luxuriating in the diversity of circumstances and personality. Whether you're a seasoned reader or new to Toni Morrison, Song of Solomon is a must-read that will ignite your imagination and leave you wanting to read more Morrison. Song of Solomon, a timeless tale that will stay with you long after you've turned its final page. Available now at TonyMorrison.com and wherever books are sold. All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day, 
or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to 100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out every once in a while at least. So download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hey, I, I got a question too, because I, I, I have not watched, um, and nor do I ever have any intention to, because it's just a fictional TV series, or as far as I'm concerned. But did, did Greg Kading ever like interview um, G Money or uh, Lil C's or anything? Anybody those? Any of the other guys that were I, right I, there in your entourage? I can't. I can't answer that. Yeah. Uh, what, I, I what, really what I don't. What I don't understand, Don, is is, and, and again, I'm I'm not in the. Um, you know, the TV industry, but whoever the executives or the people that, that produce or are going to produce some type of TV series that's based on a true event, how can you not do your due diligence? So this isn't, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this just isn't on great Katie, but who, who are the executives who need to do their due diligence and all their checks to, to, to verify that this stuff is either true or not true or to actually corroborate things on their own. It's kind of like when you uh, interviewed Brad Furman, you know, the director of City of Lies, where he said, you know, they went out and they had to do their due diligence and corroborated things and track people down. How did that not happen for this TV series when the number one witness, Big Gene, was right there and and they never talked to him? I, it's It's mind-blowing to me that that they wouldn't follow up on something like that and yet go ahead and produce a TV series or documentary and whatever it's just it's just not factually correct if you look at the series of events what basically transpired is that up until you deciding to talk Greg Caden could get away with bad mouthing uh, Russ Poole, and and there was nobody um, to support Russ Poole. I, th- I think you can make the argument that Randall Sullivan supported Russ Poole, but Randall Sullivan is a journalist, right? So then, what you have is this massive lag in time that ultimately we then get to when you decide to finally tell a story. They can't attack your character. They, I think they could attack Russ Poole's character because at some point there was a narrative of, you know, the kind of like detective with the storage space who's gone off the deep end. They can't say that about you. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so for yeah, the very yeah. first time in a period of 10 years, 
there's a narrative that you can't discredit sad it, for Greg Kading. It's sad because he got away with and perpetrated a scam of Hollywood, a scam of whoever he did the documentary with, a scam of whoever he printed the book with. And so, unfortunately, it is what it is for us to land here today. And again, I challenge anyone to to give an alternative narrative to what you know we've presented here in oh, close to 20 episodes of the dossier of, of evidence of other people speaking and more importantly you going on the record and obviously we can go on for days about that i, I don't mean to cut you off man but i have to ask phil because if i don't ask phil this my friend Charlie out there in North Carolina, he's going to be so mad at me, man. Phil, <laughs> okay. You guys, you guys are the FBI. You guys couldn't get those, those, uh, all those sealed records, all those things open up through the courts or whatever like that, all that paperwork that they had. Y'all, y'all couldn't get that. Well, here's, uh, Gene, here's, here's, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, here's the interesting part is, when the LAPD doesn't disclose that they have all those documents and those documents are then hidden away in some files, we, we don't know what we don't know. And even to this day, who's to say what else is, is, is being hidden in the bottom of a drawer? And I'm not saying there is, but from what I understand, there's a likelihood. But then once those documents finally do come out, but they are under seal... We have no access to them. We have, I, I hate to say it, but there's, there's no way that we can get our hands on that. And, and here's the sad thing. And understand, I don't have anything against the LAPD. I have something against certain people at the LAPD. But I have a lot of friends that work there. I had a good working relationship with them. And unfortunately, there's always a couple bad apples that uh, they kind of, you know, ruin it for everybody. We, because of the working relationship the FBI has with the LAPD, it's not like if I have to go to a, a, a company and I need to subpoena a bunch of records, we try to be, you know, do the professional courtesy and explain to them, hey, th- these are the kind of documents that, that we believe are out there. Um, can you provide those to us? And understand, from the very beginning, Gene, I, I put out an olive branch. To that robbery homicide division and Steve Katz. I cannot tell you how many times I asked them if they wanted to be part of the FBI's investigation. We wanted to look into things together and they didn't want anything to do with it after they took off the two detectives because they knew that they were going to have to, to ruin this case and obstruct it. Otherwise, it was going to be made. And so a lot of the, some of the things that I asked for, they would not provide, such as the photo of, of you and uh, Amir outside the Peterson uh, near Puffy's car. I mean, it's documented that that photo exists. It's documented that me and another agent saw that photo. And it's documented that my bosses signed off on a letter specifically sent to certain people at LAPD, including Detective Katz, requesting that we see that photo. They respond, that photo does not exist. What do you do at that point? You got to just shake your head and just go, what the hell are we dealing with here? And it's not like we're just trying to say, hey, I gotcha and, and, and slam the LAPD on something. It's, look, we, 
My bosses signed off and opened up this case. The FBI is doing their job. The FBI has reached out to the LAPD detectives to be part of this case. And they decide they don't want to be then. And so, you know, if they're not going to hand over these documents, uh, you're kind of stuck. And again, some of the documents that I believe are out there um, that we've never seen, I don't know if we're ever going to see them unless somebody else decides to open up the case. And I think, Gene, just to add to Phil, what you have to understand and is very important, and we're trying to get Perry Sanders to come and talk to us about questions like you just asked, even, for example, with the civil trial, at a certain point, what the LAPD really did is they went to the federal judge and they said to the federal judge, hey, we have new information and this is now an active murder investigation. Now, under that premise, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, the minute they tell the federal judge this is still an active murder investigation, that then allows them to control what Perry Sanders could see, what the Wallace family could see, what could be brought into court, and what could be buried in what Randall Sullivan likes to refer as to like a safety deposit box somewhere in downtown Los Angeles. Correct. And the un, and I and the unfortunate, I guess it's both fortunate and unfortunate is the fortunate thing is is there is no statute of limitations on a murder. The unfortunate thing is is because of that the LAPD can say, "Hey, this is an ongoing investigation. Uh, we should not have to hand over this particular evidence um, or these particular leads because we're still investigating it and if we do turn this stuff over, it's going to impede or hamper our investigation. And the judge bought off on that. So basically, they have an endless amount of time to hold on to these documents or to hide these documents um, from ever coming to light, which means, I mean, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, does that mean this is still going to be an, an open, ongoing murder investigation? Well, I guess so, if they're going to continue to hide those documents. That's the ridiculous thing about it. Hey, Gene, what, after all this time, still surprises you about this story enough for you to to still want to talk about it, for people's interest in it? Well, the fact that there were, there were eyewitness deaths. You know, Lucy saw the shooter. I put the shooter there at that position. Put the, I put the shooter there. Lucy's, you know, uh, be the guy who's taking the shots and everything. So for people to come up with this Gucci narrative and all this other bull crap, and they still believe that when eyewitnesses, because when you're doing an investigation, you the most important statement that is made is the statement that they make that night. It's the statement that they make right there at the scene. You know, and you have to you have to go with that statement that is made. You know, uh, when we're doing investigation. So when Lil C said it's a Muslim, and then I say blue suit, what you call like that? You you run with that. So what happens is that you know how people 
it, it used to be a story that I used to have people ready to hear the bullshit more so than they do the truth. So, you know, how people are just coming on here and they running with the bullshit instead of listening to the truth. And, it, and it's good that Phil, who is a decorated FBI agent, you know what I'm saying? You know, he didn't have to come out. He could have he kept quiet. You understand? Uh, but because he wasn't allowed to do his job just like Russell Poole, you understand? And he has the paperwork. He has the documentation. He has everything to put on the table to show you this is what we tried to do to find Big Killer. And I wasn't allowed to do that. So what keeps me on and keeps me going is this, is that one day that something is going to hit, somebody's going to say something, and they're going to say, yo, listen to me. And, it, and, and, and it's going to, I think that Phil, 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 Phil cleared me out there, but I want those people who was there to come out and say, yo, Gene was right. Gene told us at Andre Herrera house that guys was coming to kill us. You understand? Lucy just said something lightly like that, but you know, his, 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 his words don't hold no, 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 uh, weight, but a couple of people are going to come out and they're going to tell the truth. And I'll, you know, I'll wait on that. And Phil, I, I do have a question for you that I don't think I've ever asked you. And what would be preventing the LAPD to charge if the evidence was there, the alleged shooter in Amir Muhammad and not, I guess, include the Mac or the Perez or how it all came about? What what would the fear be if that was to happen, then Amir ultimately goes on the record of how it all was put together? What, what would prevent them from just making an arrest? Well, the one thing is, is there is, and this is everybody that's ever looked at this case um, has always said the same thing. There is no way in hell one person pulled this off, period. And, and there, without question, that's correct. In fact, there were two, I mean, Gene even told me there were, there were two cars set up. So depending on which way the, the, the caravan that had Puff and Iggy in it, whichever way they turned, there was going to be a car that was going to be there that had a shooter uh, that was going to be able to take out, you know, whether it be Puff or whether it be Biggie. So right there, it tells you there was more than one shooter. But there is no way one person is going to be able to lie wait in a car and not have other people involved to make sure that police officers don't, I mean, Understand too, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gene. After Big was shot, and you guys take off and try to follow the shooter, um, you know, going over 100 miles an hour on the freeway, lose them, and then you come back. There's still no police officers there yet, and you guys decide, oh, you know what? Let's take them to uh, Cedar Sinai. I know you guys knew how to get there. Where where are the police officers? And I'm not I'm not pointing the finger at LAPD here. I'm pointing the finger at anybody who who was handling the security for the actual museum, there had to be police officers there. There's no way in hell you are going to have that level of celebrities, both athletes that were there, um, entertainers that were there. I mean, there were, there were so many celebrities there 
that they're not only going to have their personal security, which is a lot of times off-duty officers, but you're also going to have security there that's supplied for the Peterson, as well as when you have a big event like that in a big city like whatever, Los Angeles, New York, wherever, you are going to have a ton of police officers, both uniformed to deter people from doing anything, as well as, say, in suits to where they can almost like, you know, fit in with the crowd, be undercover or, you know, be like the personal bodyguard for somebody, kind of like what, what, what Big Gene was. But to have no police officers show up there goes to tell you there had to be a concerted effort by more than just the shooter to try to orchestrate this. And that's where people need to understand how the Rampart case worked, how the Palmeros case worked, how the David Mack bank robbery worked. There were multiple people, multiple officers, radios were used, tactics were used, cars were used to be able to orchestrate those those crimes, just like it was orchestrated to uh, to create the shooting of Biggie. And one person could not do it. So even though if you were to arrest the shooter, if you want to say Amir Muhammad, there's still so many other people. And if you're going to go ahead and arrest one person, that person's going to start talking. They're not going to take the fall for everyone. Guaranteed. And Gene, that night when it all happened, obviously the adrenaline and your your you're doing what you're doing when you think back on it now was it odd to you that at that event or when this transpired that there was just absolutely no police that as you said they stopped the car they got out they were standing there they were yelling that no officers responded at all we got back uh, to the scene you know when you watch the uh the television or la even uh, in L.A., you always see that when there's a shooting, there's a situation, the helicopters will be in the air. You know what I'm saying? There were no helicopters in the air. There were no police on our side of the venue. What I heard was is that somebody had did a shooting on the other side of the venue. You understand? And there were ambulances and there were police all over there. Nobody ever came back to that side. We didn't do 100 because we had that government chip car fill. And every time okay. we tried to get up to 100, <laughs> it would go all the way back down to 90. So, gotcha. Uh, uh, so we could we, we, we was never going to catch it. And then um, when we got back, Holy Steel wasn't there. I walked down to the, uh, in the middle of the Peterson. And that's when I uh, uh, heard uh, DJ Quick. He said, uh, uh, yo, he was on the cell phone. Yo, I think they, they got some one of them bad boy niggas. They said they was going to get him. And then I'm walking towards him, and Paul runs down. I said, yo, Gene, come on. We leave it. We take him back to the hospital. And he's grabbing at me. And I said, okay. So we, we go back up to the, I go back up to the car. And uh, Kenny said, they asked Kenny, you know where the hospital is? He said, yeah. We didn't know it was a hospital too. You know, we didn't know it was a hospital like two blocks away, you know. And then when Lil' Steve said that Kenny was dodging through, you know, traffic and everything like that now, and was flying and stuff like that, he was trying to go as fast as he could. But our driver was cursing and said, I wish I knew where the hospital was because Kenny was going too slow. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we didn't even know where the hospital was at. And it seemed like Kenny didn't know where the hospital was at. 
in closing here, Gene, is there any questions, and you can ask as many as you want, of Phil, of, of his sort of investigation or things that you've been wondering that you haven't had answers for that that maybe he can bring some clarity to? And, and Phil, I, I pose that to you, too. Do you have any questions for Gene um, as it relates to anything we didn't talk about? Well, I would like to ask Phil that uh, is it true that because this this has been said that because of big status and what it would have it would crippled the city, him being a gangster rapper and everything like that, that there were forces that wouldn't allow them to get to the truth that was played. What I can say to that is, um, and I stated it, you know, earlier on, is I was contacted by one of the attorneys. Um, for the city of Los Angeles. And they told me it was at the end of the day and they said, hey, um, we need to talk with you um, because you've been put on a witness list by Perry Sanders and we cannot have you testify. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know about any witness list or anything like that. And they said, well, yeah, um, prior to the trial starting, one of the requirements is, is all the attorneys, they have to both on the plaintiff and defendant side, you know, they have to provide a witness list. And Perry Sanders provided you um, as one of the witnesses they plan on calling. And we cannot have you testify. And I'm like, I, this is the first I've heard of it. They go, well, we need to talk to your bosses. And I said, okay, when do you, when do you want to meet? They go, we'll be at your office tomorrow morning. Well, that's, first of all, they don't usually come to the FBI office and to do it that quickly. It was obviously a big deal. So I go ahead and I set up a meeting. I had all my bosses there and that's where, and it's documented, like I stated before, point blank, they say, if Agent Carson were to testify, we stand a 50-50 chance of losing a $500 million or $600 million civil lawsuit and we can't afford to have that happen. And the FBI said, okay. And they, the FBI didn't, they didn't, they didn't make it any determination at that point, but the case never went to trial. So, um, it kind of got left at that. But just the fact that, that the city attorney's office was trying to squash me testifying and some of the other things that the city attorney's office, uh, tried to do to, uh, to discredit me by uh, making up these false narratives and false ruses that ended up getting the lead city attorney on this case fired and taken off the case because he was going to get sued by me and the FBI. Um, he, he gets yanked off because he even admitted under oath that the reason they did some of the things that they did was to try to, where they could discredit me if I were to be on the witness stand Um saying that, you know what, he didn't follow through on certain investigative leads because we tried to get him to do certain things and they were going to try to use that to discredit me. They even admitted under oath that they made up those false lies and it cost the lead city attorney uh, his job on the case. So, you know, it's they, they had a lot at stake. I mean, I, there's there's no doubt about it. It's, this would have, and again, Gene, this is coming after um, the whole consent decree from the Rampart situation. I mean, that that case, what did it cost them? Like $100 million that they ended up paying out and uh, uh, paying off uh, all the all the people that got um, 
prosecuted that involved Rafael Perez's testimony. Once he was a disgraced officer, they pretty much had to let all those people go, let them walk free. And then they also had to pay off a bunch of civil suits because of that. So if, if that is going to cost them $100 million, um, their number was, it was this was going to cost them five to $600 million. That's not my number. That's what they told us. Well, Phil, I, I want to personally thank you, man. And uh, I appreciate what you've done, man. You made my life so much easier as far as coming out and letting people know that I stood, I stood as a man and I fought this battle and I was fighting this battle by myself. I was letting everybody know no matter what and no matter who, what I saw and what I witnessed that night. And I truly appreciate you coming out, man, and letting the public know that I was a man of my word and I was true to my word. No, no problem. I mean, you know what? Sometimes the truth hurts people. But, you know, what's been told in this story, you know, by you and by me, it's the truth. It, it just is what it is. It's going to be, it was true 20 years ago. It's true today. And it's going to be true 20 years from now as well. So, you know what? It is what it is. Yes, sir. Thanks, guys. This was, this was amazing to have you both on the phone at the same time. Um, if there's any other follow up, uh, I'll get in. I'll get in touch with both of you. All right. Thank you. All, all right, right, man. Good talking with you again, Gene. All right. Take all care. Right, be good, bro. Peace. You too, man. The truth hurts, but in this particular case, the truth has been lost in 24 years of lies. I'm trying to make the definitive account of why the LAPD was able to cover up the murder of Biggie. I've tried almost everything to understand what happened. But I have two more people on my list to talk to who I think know exactly what happened. And that is David Mack and Rafael Perez. Are you there? I'm here. So are you 100% correct that these are the phone numbers for David Mack and for Rafael Perez? Yes, that's them. 